G'day and welcome to another edition of the Two Dogs Podcast. My name's Kevin Hillier and I'm really excited uh, to bring you the two blokes you're going to meet today. Uh, two blokes who, if you're a Bulldog fan, you know all about them. Uh, if you're not a Bulldogs fan, you'll know of them, uh, but you're about to discover what uh, what terrific uh, blokes they are and what uh, great servants they've been of the Western Bulldogs of the Footscray Football Club over a number of years now. Uh, 253 games, three goals, played for Australia, all Australian, and of course, one premiership medal hangs around his neck. I'm talking about Dale Morris, one of the great warriors of the modern era of the Western Bulldogs. Wore the red, white and blue like uh, like none other and uh, proud to have him today uh, on this podcast. Uh, his journey from uh, from Duda Stars through the VFL at Werribee uh, through to, as we mentioned, a premiership player and All-Australian uh, is a great story and one I'm sure you're going to enjoy. And uh, running alongside that was a man who's been at the club since the mid-80s or thereabouts, I think, and uh, has been a, an important member of the uh, the backroom staff. Uh, you do see him match days, but you don't see him that much on the ground or probably more than we'd like to see him on the ground sometimes, depending on the injury toll. But that's uh, Jake Landsberger, who's been the club doctor uh, up until at the end of uh, last season, uh, since the mid-80s. So let's uh, let's unfold their story. Uh, and it is a beauty. I think you'll enjoy it. Dale Morris, Jake Landsberger. And we start with that, you know, that very first, that unforgettable moment when they first met. Uh, as in our very first ever encounter? Yeah. No, not No. I do. Yeah. I remember... It was actually before I got um, on the list because I was trying out for four years, um, you know, playing at Werribee and, and each preseason I'd come down to the dogs and uh, and do a preseason to try and get picked up in the draft or rookie draft or just anything really. I just wanted, wanted them to pick me up. But um, I do remember uh, Jakey and Zimmer. Uh, first it was Zimmer because I'd seen him on TV and Zimmer loves TV time. Um, Jakey was the... Uh, the quieter one of the two, the behind-the-scenes sort of man. And um, I remember coming in and and people, you know, introduced themselves and I got shown around to the to the docks and stuff like that. And I just remember, Jakey, it didn't matter that I was from Werribee. It didn't matter that I hadn't played a game of AFL. It didn't matter that I wasn't even on the list. He, he cared for me because I was in the four walls at the Bulldogs. Yeah. Um, and it's something that really stuck with me about uh, who Jakey is and who he still is. Um, and, you know, straight away I knew this guy's all right. Um, and uh, thank goodness for that because he's looked after me ever since. Well, obviously, I mean, it has been a relationship that's been very, very much um, uh, together in the, in the last, uh, you know, since 2005. I don't necessarily remember the, our very first encounter, but I certainly remember, especially amongst ourselves, talking um, often myself, uh, Zimmer and David Young, our surgeon, would uh, would often uh, communicate, whether it was socially or by phone or, or just from a medical perspective. And between the three of us, we would often talk about the amazing resilience of, of, of Dale and how he would cope and the sorts of, the sort of problems that he would go ahead and play with, etc. There was a time, probably 15 years ago now, maybe longer, uh, I think it was in during Terry Wallace's time as coach, where David Young actually approached the club and wanted the club to organise an award on Best and Fairest Night, which was, I don't remember the exact name, but it was David Young's idea that it was a medical award and it would be awarded to uh, the, the player that played with the most uh, issues and continued to play with injury. Um, and I remember uh, over two or three years when we tried to get that off the ground and it, it sadly never succeeded, but uh, I think almost every time that it was discussed, 
uh, Dale's name came up as a potential recipient <laughs> of the award. Um, that's just because I got injured too many times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that six weeks he missed with that ingrained toenail was just one of those examples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, though. Um, you know, I look back on, on my career and the things that, um, you know, as a team and individually what, uh, what we were able to do, and I, I wouldn't have been able to do it without the team around me and that team includes is a big part of it is Jakey um, and Zimmer and Youngie especially because, you know, to go through some of those injuries that I that I had to go through um, wasn't fun, wasn't nice and there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknowns with it all and the, the people that got me through um, were those three and especially Jakey. I mean, everyone sees the club doctor um, and sees what they do on game day and they'd help the players but it was the after hours things and it wasn't just me, it was asking how Jem was, asking how the kids were. Yeah. It was, you know, 9 o'clock at night, sending a text, is everything okay? Um, you know, that's the stuff that people don't see or hear about, but that's the stuff that really um, sticks with, with the players and, and why the players, you know, love Jakey so much. Not bad for a bloke who arrived, yeah. uh, you know, to stay for one year and then 32 years later he was still at the club. Uh, that's, that's very. That is very true. It was for one year, but uh, get your maths right, Kevin. It was actually thirty-five years that I stayed there. So thirty-five. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. You yeah. would have seen it all, Jakey, too. Oh, absolutely. I remember saying at the Best and Fairest uh, when I got the very kindly got the opportunity to speak that um, I, when I arrived at the club, I was almost thirty-two years of age in in, in my in the prime of my. Uh, career and life and when I left the club I was uh, a year into being eligible to apply for a senior's card. (laughs) (laughs) That's not bad. (laughs) Hey hey, Jake, uh, was your initiation almost in terms of on-field stuff the Terry Wallace, Rod Grinter thing, was that one of the first ones you had to deal with? Oh, very good memory, uh, Kevin, absolutely. Uh, That was my first full season. I did the uh, pre-season in 86. Uh, and certainly the the first major injury, and probably still to this day one of the biggest and worst injuries I've ever seen, was uh, the Rod Grinter, uh, Terry Wallace incident, uh, which also, I'm sure you probably remember, Kev, became the first ever uh, video um, uh, tribunal incident. It was the first time ever at a, a VFL-AFL tribunal that a video of, of an incident was shown. Yep. Uh, and it was, a, it was an absolute... Horrendous injury. I still remember uh, when when Terry got whacked, uh, kneeling on the ground next to him, and there on the ground next to his face were, without wanting to get make, make, making people cringe, were his uh, bottom four, or I think it might have even been bottom six teeth, and the gums that they were attached to lying next to his face. So it was it wasn't a pretty sight. Oh, yeah. No way. And, and the remarkable yeah. thing of that is he played the next week. Not only did he play the next week, yes, he, so he, he was sent for emergency surgery uh, to the uh, Royal Melbourne Hospital by ambulance to a, a who is now a, a fellow who's now a professor of facio-maxillary surgery, um, who was a fairly young new surgeon that I got to know probably the year before. It was incredible that I, I still remember two days later getting a call from the surgeon saying, even though it looked terrible, uh, he's back together. He was actually teeth and gums were held together with braces yeah. and the surgeon actually said he's okay to play and, and I was absolutely mm. flabbergasted at, at, at that point and then if I can digress a little bit just to show the power of um, 
uh, of advertising even in those days, and we're talking 1987, uh, one of uh, Plough's biggest issues with that was that he had braces just like you see on any any young teenager, and the braces were digging into his gums, and they were actually cutting uh, his the inside of his lips and his tongue to the stage that they were bleeding. And at the time, our uh, erstwhile wonderful property steward, the great late and great Eddie Walsh, uh, who used to supply chewing gum to everybody, at the time, the chewing gum, uh, uh, the flavour of the month, so to speak, was a chewing gum called Cimarol. I don't know. Yeah, Dale might not even be old enough to remember. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, very, very minty, uh, nice chewing gum. Anyway, after he played that day, I remember Terry was interviewed on radio, and I remember in the interview he talked about the fact that uh, the braces were so uncomfortable, and he said in the interview that he would put uh, a dozen Simmerol chewing gum in his mouth, chew them, and then rub the chewing gum over his braces, and they would uh, protect his tongue and, and mouth from getting cut. And God's, God's truth, within 24 hours, I get to the club the next day and a truck arrives and I'm standing outside the property room and in get delivered 25 cartons of Cimarron chewing gum <laughs> uh, as a reward for the free adver- advertising that Cimarron got out of Terry Wallace. <laughs> Jeez, you think he could have chosen something better than chewing gum to, to give a plug? Exactly. <laughs> That was uh, that was a very very that was a hell of an initiation into uh, into <laughs> looking after football. Yeah. Yeah. What was your first major injury, Dale? Ooh, depends what you classify as major. Like the, the biggest one, obviously, was the broken leg, and that was in two thousand and eleven. But um, I do remember uh, a game we were playing over in Canberra against Sydney. I'm not sure if Jake you remembers the unique injury that I got that day. Um, I accidentally I was tagging uh, Adam Good and. I accidentally got too close to him and I was running. He stopped and my my foot uh, smashed into oh, the back of his heel. Absolutely. And, oh, it, I didn't know what happened, but I had this tremendous pain on my, my big toe. In and But I can't see anything. I look, I look down and it looks like my my big toe is pitching a tent. Um, so I looked down and I was like, oh, this isn't good. I couldn't run. I'm trying to get off. And I get to the bench and... And Jakey and Zimmer run over and said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. Something's happened to me toe. And they said, which one? I said, the one that's looking back at me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, oh, do you remember that, Jakey? Oh, very, very much so. And to this day, I can tell you that I, Zimmer and I looked at each other. Neither of us had ever seen a big toe dislocate and point up into the sky ever before. <laughs> I've never seen it since. You'd want to talk about another one, not quite as traumatic, but I also remember, Dale, uh, we were playing Hawthorne in Launceston. Yep. <laughs> um, and a, a certain Dale Morris, if I remember correctly, ripped his pec muscle off the bone. Off the bone, and then tried to keep playing too. <laughs> Absolutely right, yes. But we had a bad day that day against Hawthorne down in Launceston. Mitchie Wall with his back. Correct. And, uh, back present, yep. Yep, and Honey, Mitch Honeychurch um, with his collarbone, was it? Yes, fractured collarbone. Yeah, yep. so we had, we had one person on the bench, and this is when we had the, the um, sub vest. We had uh, our sub went on because me and Mitchie got injured pretty close to each other, um, and I said, I reckon I can keep playing. Um, otherwise, we're not going to have much of a bench. So Jakey and Zimmer strapped the bejeebas out of my shoulder to try and stop me from using my pec because it was I, it was very, very painful to, to just move my arm. 
I ran out there. I was in one contest, and then Jakey came running at me. He goes, you're off. <laughs> so I went straight back to the bench, and uh, we ended up with one person on the bench. And of the three guys that got injured, they gave me the red vest. I was filthy. <laughs> the, the, I remember the graphic at uh, the, the BNF last year when, when you retired. Uh, John O put a graphic up, which has done the rounds of, uh, of your career injuries and all that. The dislocated toe didn't get a mention. Um. I don't know, probably got missed that one. <laughs> um, but no, that was that was pretty painful. And the pain uh, associated with that was unreal. Um, but Jakey and Zimmer went to the bench. They didn't look flustered. I would have thought they'd seen it a thousand times before. And go in the room, they put it back in place and put a bit of tape on it and said, right, Oaks, take these, you'll be fine. Went back out there, kept playing. After the game, I come and talk to them. I'm going, geez, that was sore. They're going to... My word, it would have been. We've never seen anything like that before in our lives. <laughs> I mean, Jake, you saw a lot of Dale because he got uh, genuinely injured, but you, over the years, I mean, there are a lot of blokes, <clears throat> pardon me, a lot of blokes hang around the medical room who shouldn't hang around the medical room. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're not, we're not uh, brandishing Dale as a sook by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but there have been blokes over the years who've sort of, who sort of know their way around the medical room better than others. Uh, there, there, are some, there are some blokes who... Uh, hang around the medical room for a very, very genuine reason, and Dale would be very much near the top of the list. Uh, there would be other blokes who would hang around the medical room for very non-genuine reasons as well, absolutely. We're not going to start mentioning any names. Yes, but, we are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. No, and, and we'd I, like to send I, a cheerio to, no, we'd like to send I, a cheerio to Peter not, Foster. Yeah, and we should <laughs> And we shouldn't we shouldn't talk about Luke Darcy like that, Kevin. If it was a <laughs> I was just hanging around to have a chat with Jakey. Um, he's got some amazing stories. So I'd sit in his room, shut the door behind me. He has this comfy blue couch in his in his office, and I'd just go in there and have a chat. And you'd work out where the key was to the medical cupboard and where he keeps the painkillers and pain relief. And um, you know, you try and uh, work your way in there. But uh, he was very good at protecting that that cupboard. That very comfy blue chair got a hell of a lot of use, I can tell you. A lot of it, <laughs> a lot of it was general chit chat as well. It wasn't always medical consultation. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Jake, what what keeps you at the club for thirty five years? When you you know your original plan was to be there for a year, maybe maybe two or three after that, but then to head head off and do what you need to do. What what kept you there for so long? Very easy, uh, simple answer uh, to give, um, and it's the same one that I uh, pretty much gave every time I got asked. It was just the quality of the people. Uh, it's like anything else. You, you talk to to, uh, to players and ask them what uh, they remember most about their footy careers and um, results aside and potentially team success aside, and we know how hard it is for that to, uh, to be uh, achievable, the biggest thing they talk about is just the relationships that they develop. And um, I remember thinking... In the first couple of days that I walked in there when uh, Mick Malthouse was coach and Dennis Gallenberti was footy manager and meeting uh, blokes like Ben Bradley and Jack McGovern and, yeah. and the players and everybody else, it was just the character of the place. Um, and I, I said for, for decades that when I walked into the club, it really felt like I was walking into home. Um, and it was just, it, it was that feeling that, uh, made it a pleasure just to keep going back there. And, and I mean, again, it's fascinating, Kevin. Um, out of the 35 years of, of being there, I would think at, the, at least the first 50% of that, it was 12 to maybe 15 of those, wasn't even anything uh, formalised in a contract or anything else. Oh, wow. It was, pure, it was purely at the end of the year, 
um, there'd be a handshake from the CEO or the president or whatever saying, thanks for your time and we'll see you next year. Yep. And and not getting a phone call saying, don't come back next year. I'd just turn up for the first day of preseason <laughs> and, off, and off we would go again. And it was it was actually only Matthew Drain who arrived as the footy manager many, many years later after his stint at Essendon, um, calling him into his office one day with Noble and saying, in all the years you've been here, I don't think you've, you've ever had a contract. What's going on? And I said, I don't need one. And it probably took him the best part of a couple of months to even convince me about doing something like that because to me it was just uh, a handshake was good enough and if they made a commitment on their part and I made a commitment on my part then it would just go ahead as per normal. Yeah. The the, the way it has changed, uh, in terms of was there a medical uh, reason for you being at the club in the first place, Jake, in terms of to learn about a whole sort of side of medicine you, you're unable to do in day-to-day practice? Was that part of the reason you originally went to the club? Uh not, not really. Uh, look, I'd, I'd, um, uh, Zimmer and I had gone through medical school together, um, and we both had a bit of a, uh, a liking for, at the time, there wasn't even a, a term like sports medicine even mentioned. There was no such thing. It was just um, something that we were both interested in. Uh, at, at, when we, uh, at the end of my final year of, of medical school, um, I actually wrote a letter to a number of clubs, uh, the Bulldogs being one, uh, three or four clubs, just saying I was interested in working in an, in an elite sporting environment as part of an experience of hoping to have a medical career that would involve at least that being part of my work. And I got a reply. Uh, the only uh, club that actually replied was Melbourne Football Club. Uh, I wrote to Footscray. I knew Tony Cates. Uh, from medical circles as the president of the Footscray, yep. uh, although Tony wasn't the club doctor. Melbourne actually replied to me and said there is a spot for the first time ever where they were looking for a, a job as a, as a doctor at the under-19. Half of my family were Mad Bulldog supporters. Um, a lot of my friends uh, were Melbourne supporters. Um, I was a footy fan um, and got the job uh, on uh, as a voluntary basis just to work with their under 19. Um, and that got me involved in that field of medicine. And I did that for three years. And then uh, in 84 and 85, uh, graduated to do a bit of work with the seniors team as well. And then at the end of that year, uh, I gave it away and started work um, in, in early, late 84 at my practice in Footscray, where I'm still uh, practicing now. Yeah. And and about six months into that uh, stint of of having no affiliation, uh, Tony Cates gave me a phone call and said, look, I know you're working in Footscray. I hear you're available. Would you be interested in coming having a chat with us about uh, getting involved with uh, with Footscray? And that's how it started. And then, I, and at that stage, the practice was open seven days a week and I was a young medico sort of trying to make his way and, and get established uh, in a medical practice and, and, and start up getting a patient base. Uh, and I remember at the end of that meeting with Tony, I then went and had lunch with Dennis Gallenberti at Malthouse, and I literally went home to my wife. We'd just had our first child, um, uh, Jesse, who's now 36, um, and I said, I've just had a meeting with Footscray. The people there were wonderful. They're such lovely people. Would it be okay? I know that I'm already working six and a half days a week at Drew Street, but would it be okay with you if I spent 
a year at Footstrike as if they're just such wonderful people. Then in all seriousness, it was going to be, I'll go there and maybe spend the next 12 months trying to find somebody to replace me yeah. to get them a long-term gig. And that's how it started. And it, it took me 35 years to find that replacement, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no, well, it's, a, it's an amazing journey. And there's a couple other little bits and pieces I want to talk to you about in terms of specific players and specific injuries. But, Dar, was there a, when you when you were battling away, and, and I mean, I, I was obviously around you at the time with the Werribee Footy Club when mm-hmm. you were coming through there. What were your plans? Were your plans always that you would make it, or did you have backup plans? Or were you, what? What was in your in your head at that stage? Were you thinking that might be, you know, what you'd be doing in two thousand and ten, let alone in two thousand and five? Yeah, no, I, I had the dream of playing AFL. I, I thought and believed that I was good enough, and playing for for Werribee just reaffirmed all my thoughts on whether I was good enough or not. Because the best thing about playing in the VFL, and I spent. Uh, a year and a half, nearly two years in the development league uh, in the VFL, but I was able to play against AFL-listed players. Um, so I could finish a game playing in the Werribee Ones against you know AFL players and hold my own and, and beat them at times. And I would go home thinking, if I can beat them, all I need is an opportunity and I can prove that I can play AFL footy. And all I wanted was that opportunity. Um but you do need to plan and prepare um, for things that if it doesn't work out. So I was, at the time, uh, living in West Meadows, uh, going to uni in Bundura, and then driving out to Werribee to train and, and play. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a bit of a long haul. Um, and at the same time, I was working at the local Claudio's IGA in West Meadows, uh-huh. um, stacking shelves, working in the butchers, mopping the floors, doing all that because I needed a few bucks. Um, I needed to, you know be a teenager and get out and do what teenagers do. And um, at, over the years, um, I guess I still believed I could do it, but each knockback made it harder and harder. Um, and then on the, I guess, my final attempt, um, back then I was one year away of being too old to be rookied. Yeah. Um, it was basically my last my last shot. But during this preseason, I was having meetings with uh, with local clubs Um and Avondale Heights and Do to Stars and these these clubs in the EDFL um, because I was thinking, well, I can't play VFL forever because of it's such a, a taxing drive and stuff like that. Um, living in West Meadows and, and stuff, and so I was planning on you know what might um, what might happen and and what could happen. Um, I was hoping to get picked up, but if I didn't, I was trying to. I was talking to the boss at IGA about upping my hours. Um, I was studying at the time, nearly finished my degree, and then I could explore options there. And and then, lucky lucky enough for me, um, I was able to get uh, to get rookied. So I'll never forget um, that day. Um, we had, I think, it was about close to ten guys trying out for two rookie spots. Um, and in the rookie draft, they took the first one was Rowan Nana, and he was training at North Melbourne. Um, and we knew that there was one more rookie spot up for grabs and there was you know, eight or ten of us that were trying out for that one spot. Um, and one by one, we're filing into Rocket's um, office. I'd never I'd seen Rocket in that preseason. It was his first year at the club. Um, and he was an, in, an intense character then. Um, yeah. So then as, as we're getting um, pulled into his office one by one, it's a quite a daunting uh, experience. But um, I went in there and sat down in his office and he said, Dale, unfortunately, we're going to pick you up in the rookie draft. And said, oh, that's okay. And, Wait a minute. What? And he said, we're going, to, we're going to rookie you. And I was wrapped. And he had a big smile on his face and shook hands. And I skipped out of there and 
I think the players must have been told because there was quite a few there that came out and they were cheering and happy and, you know, giving us hugs and all the rest of it. So it was an amazing, amazing experience. Yeah, gee, that's a great that is, yours is a great story because I mean, by the end of two thousand and five, you're playing uh, for Australia. Oh yeah, uh, round five, two thousand and five was my first game. It was yep. Chris Grant's three hundredth game. Um, it was absolutely unreal, and the the roller coaster ride throughout my whole career was just incredible. Um, and it's something that I'll, I'll never ever forget because it was the the ride of my life. That's for sure. You um, there's a time when, in, no matter what you do in life, where you think you're actually, yeah, I'm, I'm good enough now to be here. You've always struck me as the yep. sort of bloke who just keeps pushing himself more and more and more and more and more, and you never think you're kind of good enough to be there. But is there now that you've had a chance to kind of, you know, take a deep breath after your career's finished, and it's not that long ago, um, have you had a mm-hmm. chance to sort of go, yeah, there was a time when I thought, yep, I am a genuine bona fide AFL player, and I deserve to be here. Nah, to be honest, not once. Yeah, um, I thought that would be the I, case. Yeah, every game I played, I played it like um, next week I could get dropped. And I genuinely thought that if I play a bad game here, I could really be dropped next week. Um, and so I would play every game thinking that. that The life of a footy player is quite a stressful one. Um, even if a, a player could play a good game and the team will still could still lose, and then that night they'll just be stressing about the game. It doesn't matter how well they play. If you play a bad game and the team loses, you don't get much sleep that night. Yeah. Um, it, it's amazingly stressful on on the mind and the body. But um, yeah, I was always thinking that next week I could be dropped. So that's the way that I attacked every week. Like it, it was you know you, your career's on the line. Jake, you would have seen the the change in uh, like the injuries haven't changed a lot. The collision injuries are probably now worse than they ever have been because of the speed of the game. But that whole uh, the whole process of, of the medical side of it that's changed a hell of a lot in the thirty five years that you're involved. Oh, absolutely, hugely, Kevin. Um, I liken um, medicine um, in elite sport similar to what the Grand Prix is to the motor industry. Yeah. Um, the, the Grand Prix of cars is where innovation and technology comes in and then uh, they'll, they'll uh, make an innovation like anti-lock brakes, which first happened in, in, um, in, in Grand Prix. And you can see by that that I am a little bit of a mini redhead. And, um, <laughs> and, and then it slowly transfers into the general uh, consumer population. And I think uh, elite uh, sports medical care is very similar to that. The, the advantage that people um, you know, who are lucky enough to work in the fields that we do at that level um, and my contemporaries are that we see things that uh, at the cutting edge and then as they get established, we can then uh, transfer them and extrapolate them into general mainstream medicine. And so, so much of the general musculoskeletal and sports medical um uh, information that I put into practice in my private practice uh, originated from and the research came from and uh, and the expertise comes from uh, elite sport and, and 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 that field of medicine and um, and it's changed incredibly uh, as we said at the very start of this this podcast too I mean in in the early 1980s there was not sports medicine as a as a topic. Uh, or as a as a noun didn't even exist. Um, uh, now it's it's recognised as, as a medical specialty. Uh, so uh, the things that we are able to do uh, continue to evolve, just like medicine continues to evolve, and you never ever stop learning. That's one of the 
best parts about this job and one of the reasons why it's easy for me to maintain a passion about it is because you're always learning new ways to, to innovate and, and new ways to help people and if that works into you being able to help somebody in, in whatever the, the, the problem might be that you can resolve, uh, it, it, it's a huge fill-up and, and, and it's still a pleasure to be able to do. Jack, one of the things I think that you, you've certainly done and uh, you've demonstrated that over the time you've been at the footy club, that connection that you have with the players that uh, Dale mentioned, you know, you ask about Jim, you ask about the boys and all that sort of stuff, there, there's there's that connection that you've made that uh, is in that area that it, now everyone's becoming so much more conscious of and that's the mental health and the me- mental wealth being, uh, health, wealth and health, <laughs> I'll get the word right, health, <laughs> health and well-being of the of the players and that's an area that yep. you, you've kind of been not I won't say dabbling's not the right word, but you know what I mean. You've made that connection. Oh, look, I think um, again, I agree totally. Um, I think that again, one of the things that uh, has always been um, such a great pleasure is the actual ability um, uh, in, in the job of, of not only being able to get involved with um, the players directly and helping them get onto the footy field, but also. The other aspect of it, which is whether it's their general medical setup, um, uh, the, watching them then grow up as per with Dale and so many other people and then get married and then have kids and to actually be given the privilege, and I don't underestimate the word privilege in any way, shape or form, the, pri- the privilege that they actually want to entrust the well-being of their family and their children uh, into your care. Um, is something that I'll uh, I'll always cherish and never mm. take for granted. And then um, the mental health part of that, part of our job's always been um, psych- a psychologist uh, per se. Um, but now, and in the last 10 years, 10 to 12 years especially probably, um, it, it's just uh, skyrocketed in, in importance. It's not surprising that for the last three or four years, when the Players Association do their questionnaires at the start of the year, the most important um, subject that they look at um, year after year now is by a street between um, number one and the daylight to the rest is, is their mental health and their mental well-being and the pressures that, that they're under uh, are ever-increasing, uh, the social media issues and all the things that we see in the uh, talked about uh, in in the various forms of media is absolutely right. So um, it, it's it's getting harder and harder and more and more difficult for these young guys to to cope with everything they go through. So it's something that we're very much invested in, and it's going to it's 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 going to ever uh, grow at an ever increasing rate, Kevin. And I think it's going to um, uh, grow exponentially. It's going to be something that I'm now going to be fascinated from the other side of the fence to to see where it leads and what sort of things can uh, can be done to help because yeah. uh, it, it, it's a major, major, major issue. But that's part of our psychology. Uh, I mean, again, one of one of my philosophies always was, and, and Dale would remember that because we've had many such conversations, even from a simple psychological perspective, I've always thought about when we talk about players and their injuries of telling them when they're going to be back rather than how long they're going to miss. So if, if, if Dale yeah. did his that day in, in Launceston, for example, um, my philosophy always was not going to be sitting down next to him in the locker room and saying, oh, bugger, uh, or, or even stronger square words than that. <laughs> I, think, I think you're going to be out for the next 14 weeks. Uh, it would be the opposite. It would be, okay, so we've got this problem. 
we're going to be fine. We're going to get you back, and we'll get you back in six or seven weeks. Yeah. Um, and and go for the positive because you've got to maintain that positivity. And these guys are so positive because they want to perform. They desperately want to get out, out, out and, and do what they do best that it's not that hard to maintain that positivity with them. That's what they want to hear from you. Dale, was the the lead up to the grand final in 2016, was that the hardest physical uh, strain on you and also a, a mental strain in there as well to make sure you were right for that? 100%. Um, the, the injury leading into the 16 final series was quite different and unique to the rest of them. Yep, broken legs, not great. Dislocated toes, not great. Um, <laughs> peck off the bone, it's not great. But when it comes to your, your back um, as a dad, um, and as a, as a young family that we had at the time, my concerns were after footy to be able to, you know, hold my kids, lift my kids up, mess around with them, run around with them. I knew all the rest of the injuries would heal, um, but my back, that was quite a, a stressful one. And on top of that, you know, we're in the final series um, at where we want to be. And Jakey was talking about the positivity that he uses with, with what he does. And I, I can vouch for that because um, I remember at, with every injury that I've ever had, I would sit down with Jakey, with Zimmer, um, with David Young or Greg Hoy, depending on if it was a lower body injury or an upper body injury, um, and we'd go through everything. And I'd have questions, uh, a lot of questions, and they would answer them all as honest, well, honestly. Um, and they would tell me how it was. Um, and if it was not the what I wanted to hear, they'd say, if it was my broken leg, um, I'd say, yep. You're not playing this year, but you're going to be right for next season. You're going to be right for round one next year. Um, all the injuries, they were looking at the positive. If it was a long stint on the sidelines during the season, they'd say, you're going to be back this year, um, not you're going to be out for 10 weeks. Um, and that, Jakey's 100% right with all that. It, the positive psychology that, that would uh, relay to the players would, would help them heal and help them get better and, and drive them to get back out there. But uh, the broken back in 16 was very unique. Um, and Jakey and Zimmer uh, worked overtime for me um, and it, the news, I trusted them because of everything that we've been through together over such a long period of time and I trust them with my life really and they were able to just calm me down, um, fill me with confidence and reassure me that I'll be ready to go. They said it'll be sore but you'll be ready to go. Was it line ball? It might have been line ball with quite a few others. It was never line ball with Dale. There was never any question in our minds that he would get up and play because of who he is. And, and the painkillers you've got. Well, yeah, okay. So there, was, there, was, there, was, there, was a, there was a little bit of help that was required <laughs> along the way. But, but the good thing about it, Kevin, was, which, it, it, again, was, was, was just nature, that I think Dale will, Dale will agree that um, his back was the best that it was on grand final day. Yeah. It, it, it was healing. Um, yeah. The injury started healing. So uh, as we progressed through each final, um, each week it was better and better. And by grand final day, it was almost like it was a minor injury. That was the best that it had been. So, and 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 from a medical perspective, we knew that if we got through, it was probably the first couple of finals. The two biggest uh, concerns that we had was West Hurst and then Hawthorne. By the time we got to to play Greater Western Sydney in that prelim, it was, for want of a better word, extremely manageable, uh, um, mm-hmm. which it was. And then by the time we got to the grand final, it was almost not too bad. We'll get through this quite easily. Well, and that's exactly what you said. 
before the final series. It's exactly yeah. how you said it was going to play out, and that's exactly what happened. So you do know a thing or two, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lovely bit of footage where you come off stage after after getting your medal and presenting the young the young uh, Oz kicker with the, with the cap, and you get the medal put around your neck, and you walk off stage. And as you're walking down the steps, the the, the camera pans out a bit, and you can see the the bulldog people standing, uh, you know, uh, cheering. There's a lot, and just in the corner of the shot is you, Jake, cheering like uh, you just won the Melbourne Cup. Uh, your horse had just won the Melbourne Cup as Dale walks off the stage, acknowledging him getting his premiership medal. Yeah, you know? there was. It was. Uh, it, uh, I agree. There, there were. I mean, it was especially um, words. Are, I still can't describe properly the, the words of the emotions that you feel on a day like that, especially um, when you've been there for so long and, and Dale and, and I both experienced so many losing preliminary finals yep. um, mm-hmm. all the way back to that you know awful day in 97 when if a certain goal umpire brought his thing, I'd kick that goal. Um, so to, to stand there and watch and then to see blokes like Dale who played with what we've just talked about, um, you know, Tommy Liberatore with his ankle and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. The guys that came back from injury, uh, Eastern Wood with his ankle, it just went on and on. So yep. uh, Jordan Ruffett even with his, you know, yeah, the bleeding eye. Eye. Yeah. Just one, one after another. So when when you're privileged enough to know what these guys have gone through and to see them achieve what they've just achieved, yeah, I, I, had, to, I had to undo that revolting pink jacket that we wear during <laughs> um, uh, the film that identifies us as, as doctors, because my heart was beating that loud, uh, that that fast and loudly that I, I thought that the jacket was going to rip open. It was, uh, the fight, the fight, and the feeling was just in, uh, it was indescribable. No, it's a it's a it's a lovely moment and a terrific moment for the club. And one one, I guess, when you look at all the all the things that you've achieved, Dale. I mean, uh, the premiership thing that is that is just uh, that's the icing, isn't it? Oh, one hundred percent. But Jakey hit the nail on the head. It's, it's being able to share that with so many people um, that had been with the club uh, going through the highs and all the lows and all the prelims and to see the joy and excitement that it put on everyone's face. Um, I was actually quite concerned because a lot of people leading up to the grand final, can you please win the grand final so I can die happy? I just didn't want mass death after the grand <laughs> final. But, um, you know, it, it was a very, very special day and I'm just thrilled that I can share that with so many people in the club, like Jakey and everyone else who's been through so much over such a long period of time that we can share such a special moment. Jake, 36 years, what are you going to miss the most now that you're not involved? Again, I think the same thing that we talked about beforehand, just the contact and the camaraderie of of the players especially. The walking into the rooms and the walking, almost every time when I walked into the the club, I always, towards my office, by walking through the, the locker room, um, just to see who was in there and to say good day and have a chat. I think probably just the direct contact with the playing group, uh, the interaction with them, having a chat with them, being able to sit in that big blue chair in my office and for a chat and not to discuss uh, a sad medical outcome or whatever, just those interactions. And when I think back about it, um, and I often do just think back and reminisce again, it's it's, it's exactly that that I think about, the the, the interaction and the, and the camaraderie and the friendship with the players. I, look, but having said that, I'm also in a very, very uh, fortunate position that um, that interaction still keeps going. Yeah. I still have players regularly popping in to say good day for coffee. I'm still 
fortunate is in the fact that a lot of uh, current and especially even the ex-players still come to see me um, uh, as as their doctor and and their and their kids, be it the Rick Kennedys and the Doug Hawkins of this world and uh, the Peter Fosters, uh, all the way through to Mark Hunter and uh, I mean, Tommy Liberatore's dad, Tony, in uh, late last week, etc., uh, etc. Et so I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that despite the fact that I'm not in the locker room with these guys or not in the huddle when they're uh, singing the song after another wonderful doggies victory, uh, I can sit on the other side of the fence with uh, next to you, Kevin, and other people and with my friends and family, but I know that uh, when I get back to, to work that at some point in time uh, I'm still going to encounter some of them uh, at, at, at various times of the day and the week, and, th- and that's fantastic to know. Dale, have you thought about what you're going to miss? It's too early probably for you to have missed kind of, you know, the, the real cut and thrust of what you've done for the, since 2005 uh, at the club, but mm-hmm. have you thought about what you're going to miss and how, what, what you're going to sort of fill it in with? Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to fill it in with just yet. I'm still working that part out. But um, uh, I, I'll, there's a couple of things I'll really miss. Um, one of them is that initial feeling of running out onto the ground with your teammates, hearing the crowd going nuts uh, and knowing it's just you and your teammates that need to get this job done. And the other side of that is walking off um, with the win as a team and seeing all of your mates so excited and so happy and being able to sing the song with them. And I guess the other thing that I loved uh, about playing footy was actually making people around me better. Um, it wasn't a, it was never about me and me being the best I could be. It was I wanted to make the people around me the best they could be, um, whether that would be blocking so Eastern Wood can fly up for his marks, whether it be um, standing the mark so then JJ can quickly play on and use his legs, give him a handball receive um, when he's running past. I just loved watching other people blossom and grow. Um, and that's something that I will miss because it's, it's quite rewarding watching these guys come into the club and fortunate enough to, to spend the 15 years playing and seeing players come in and start from the start and build their way up and then become champions of the footy club. Um, it, it's pretty cool and pretty special and, and something that I really miss. Tackling Buddy Franklin so the ball spills free and Tom Boyd picks up. Sorry, it's just the one that came immediately into my brain for some reason. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. bad. You, you, you and me both. <laughs> yeah, I had, the, I had the best seats in the house for that kick too. I was right behind him and got to see that thing sail through, so that was pretty special too. Yeah. And can I just interject there too, just Kevin, interestingly enough, on that point, um, it, it's quite amazing. The grand final in 2016 was the least, busy game that we'd had that entire season. Wow. No one wanted to come off, Jakey. That's why. No one's coming <laughs> off on the grand final. <laughs> That's probably a fair point too. There was, not one, there was not one medical issue that we had to deal with. Uh, apart from checking Jordan Ruffhead's eye regularly at every break, yep. it, was a, it was a complete – for the first time, I think, that entire season, it was a completely injury-free day. Gee whiz. Good timing. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Dale, you mentioned making, making other people better is one of the things you get a great kick out of. You mentored a few of the boys over the years. I mean, bond has been the one, the most recent one. But over the, over the years, the, the boys that you've taken under your wing? Oh, they've helped me just as much as I've helped them. Um, yeah. You know, I love, uh, you know, Woody coming through is an easy one to, to think of um, as a young player. And I was still pretty young, but in the leadership group role and, you know, to see where he's come from as a player to where he is now at the footy club is just incredible. Um, 
he was young once and uh, and did some silly <laughs> things and learned some lessons and stuff like that. But to see players like him grow and turn into captains of the footy club is just unreal. And I was able to, you know, spend my career um, with uh, quite a few players like Boydie and Murph and Crossy and, and these guys and spend nearly every game with them. Um, and to see them um, do what they did and, and learn so much from from these guys and, and coming into the club with some of the greats in Granny and Jono and Westy Darth, um, you know, and, and Roland Smith, who then became the, my backline coach. I've, I've had some um, pretty lucky and, and pretty fortunate experience with uh, with a lot of people and learnt so many things. And um, I was always there for all the players. If anyone needed a hand, if anyone wants to learn something new and do some work, I was there for them because I just loved it so much. Yeah, no, that, 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 and that joy came through watching you play too, just quietly. Hey, Jake, was <laughs> just, just I, I want to finish. It was the most bizarre medical thing that you encountered in your thirty-five years. Was it Will Minson poisoning himself? <laughs> With, well, was that the soy milk, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the soy milk. Uh, yeah, it was um, certainly on uh, on a bizarre meter uh, from uh, something out of the blue that you could never uh, imagine. Yeah, very, very much so, Kevin. It, a very good call on your behalf and to remember that, yes, uh, it was uh, Will started complaining of some very, very strange symptoms of, of uh, race, uh, very high pulse rate, feeling very, very tired and lethargic and nothing could be found on on any form of physical examination. In the end, I got him to come to my rooms and we did some blood tests on him and it turned out in the blood test, very rarely did I check a thyroid function on, a, on an elite athlete. But because he was having some cardiac irregularities, I added that in as well. And I almost fell off my chair when I got the results and he had the most horrendous set of, uh, of thyroid function tests that you could imagine. So much so, and I was so concerned about it that I rang uh, a, a, a colleague who was a consultant who's a specialist in, in thyroid and, and hormonal issues uh, and I sent him copies of the results, and he actually rang me back and said, oh, my goodness, I think I need to see this fellow very, very urgently. And I rang Will and said, you need to come to see me at, at my room's ASAP, please. We need to follow up. I'll explain when you get here. And then about five minutes after getting off the phone with Will, that same consultant rang me back and said, do you know whether this fellow's been drinking a particular brand of milk called, called Bonsoy milk? And I said, look, I don't know, but... Can I ask why? And he said he got a bulletin from the health department to say that there there is this milk which is laced with iodine that's brought in from Japan and it can potentially cause thyroid problems. So as soon as Will walked into my office, I said, Will, have you heard of a product called Bonsoy Milk and do you drink it? And he said, I drink it by the gallon load. <laughs> uh, lo and behold, absolutely, he was being poisoned by the iodine in that milk and, and he and the treatment was to stop drinking the milk, <laughs> and it took him about a month to fully recover. He made a full recovery. So yeah. absolutely, Kevin, that, that was absolutely bizarre. I, I don't think it's something I'll ever see again. Yeah, no, very, most unusual. If that was going to happen to anybody, of course it would be Will Minton. <laughs> yeah, and, he, and you're right, he would have drunk a bucket load of the stuff <laughs> too. Look at the size of him. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, I just wanted to say in finishing, um, you, you both left a, an incredible mark at the, at the football club, one that won't be forgotten, obviously, and uh, – and, uh, on behalf of the past players, now we really look forward to seeing you during the games, coming up into the room and uh, you know reminiscing and sharing and just enjoying watching uh, watching the footy from a different angle for for the next thirty odd years. 
thank you, Kevin. Uh, and could, couldn't uh, support that more. I, I can't wait to um, hopefully get uh, out to, to come up and sit up there with the with the past players and and with the family and and, and enjoy uh, watching the game with uh, with such wonderful people such as Dale and yourself and everybody else. Yeah, I'm the same. I'll echo all of that that Jakey just said. Thank you, Jen. It's been fantastic having a chat. Good on you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Kev. Well, thanks to Dale and to Jake, two great characters of the footy club, two genuinely nice human beings, and it will be a treat to sit up uh, in the stands and uh, and be around them when they're, when they're watching the Bulldogs in action in the future. More of the Two Dogs podcast coming. My thanks to the Past Players Association. Don't forget, if you are a past player or official of this football club, uh, of the Western Bulldogs, and uh, you want to be part of it, by all means, just jump on Facebook and uh, and contact uh, Ross and the team uh, who are behind the, uh, the Past Players and Officials Association and join up. It's a good way to watch the footy when we all get back they're able to do all that stuff very, very soon, hopefully. Uh, thanks again to Dale and to Jake, and look forward to your company again soon on the Two Dogs podcast. Go, doggies. Doggies.